is this something you're going to cover next week, but on the concept of planning um, and how you um, don't want to be um, arrogant or prideful, but yet you want to um, plan and put that plan before the Lord so that when you plan, you're doing it in a proper fashion. Okay. Um, yes, that's what we deal with next week. Because, and as I was looking at this passage, it's not as simple as every Christian, here's a new law for you. Always say if the Lord wills. And it's easy to do that and not mean it as well. James is not concerned with um, giving us a new law. He's clearly getting at the heart that plans this way. And so the, the challenge for me, and this, this gets back to the practical atheism, how often do I get up and live my life? And I'm not doing anything overtly wicked. This, this person making this plan is not doing any overt wickedness. Just God's not in the equation. God's being left out of the equation. I'm a practical atheist. That's what James is going after. And so really, I think the corresponding put on is to always be thinking and planning with my frailty and my lack of wisdom and a living God in view. You know, I don't, I don't think this as often as I should, but it's, I think it's a good reminder, like, Lord, I don't want you to take my wife and kids from me. I don't want them to die in a car crash. He does me no wrong if they do, and they're not guaranteed that they won't. Um, and, and reminding myself as I make plans, even for tomorrow and what we're going to do, we're going to get a Christmas tree. Maybe, <laughs> like God wants me to plan, but I need to recognize that this is just what I came up with, you know? Um, and the Lord wants me to do that. And he wants me to do that aware that he's in control and he can step in. Like, I guess this is what the Lord had instead planned for me instead, you know? Um, that, that awareness is that humility is what really is being called for. It'll be marked with how we talk, but it's not as simple as, okay, everybody just make sure you say if the Lord wills at the end of everything you say that's predictive. That's, that's not going to cut it. Um, that's why I wanted to end with Psalm 90. I, Psalm 90 really, Moses gets to this. He, he considers those contrasts and it's, okay, we need, we need wisdom. We need to know. How to, literally the Hebrew for numbering my days is making divisions. It's about planning, dividing up my days apportioning my days and I need to be satisfied with you and I need your grace and now establish the work of my hands there's work we're to go plan and prepare to do but we'll see <laughs> right you know um yeah so so that's the summary of next week you don't have to come to church now next week because you basically know what I'm going to say so um yeah yeah um yeah that's that's basically it but I was just reading so there's so many passages in the old testament about how prosperity and wealth is precisely what lord you'd think the irony being the person that god has given more to has more to be thankful for you'd think they'd be more thankful and more faithful and more reliant and it's the exact opposite in experience um our i gotta tell you this the rc sproul story about grace we become we become we're so accustomed. God gives so much grace, so lavishly, so consistently that we stop being marveled at it and we start complaining. R.C. Sproul taught a class, I think a college class. Maybe it was a, no, it was college because there were girls in it. So it wasn't when he was at RTS. And he made it very clear in this class there were three papers due. Um, 
and throughout the course of the class. And he wasn't going to accept late papers. It's late. It's a zero. It tells him this. And the first paper comes due. And after everyone's handed in their papers, there's three students trembling, just trembling. Oh, professors, bro, professors, bro, you don't understand what happened. You know, and they just, can we have the weekend? Okay. He gives them the weekend. Second paper comes due. Now there's about seven or eight students. And they're saying, oh, Professor Sproul, Professor Sproul, please, can we have a weekend? And he says, it's funny when he tells the story, because he says they broke out into spontaneous song. We love you, Prof Sproul. Oh, yes, we do. Well, then the third paper comes. And now they're no longer even asking. There's like 15 people on the way out. Like, okay, Professor Sproul, we'll get you that paper on Monday. And he says, Johnson, you don't have your paper? No? Zero. To which, do you know what the students cried out? That's not fair. To which Sproul's response said, oh, it's justice you want. Johnson, as I recall, you were late last time as well. That's a zero too. Who else wants justice? And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a demonstration of how we stop marveling at grace. He gave them the rules. If he chooses to graciously give them an extension, does he owe that to them the next time and the time after that and to everyone else? No. And we start by marveling at grace and we start by singing Amazing Grace and eventually we start grumbling because we didn't get the promotion we wanted. Um, that's the nature of our hearts. So, so it really may well be the case that God is not rewarding us Reward. God is not giving us the financial stewardship that we might want precisely because he knows it would destroy us. You know? Um, that prayer in Proverbs, give me neither too much nor too little, lest I steal and profane your name, or lest I say, who is God? Right? Um, I, want, I need to be that baby bear porridge spot. <laughs> Just right. You know? So, okay. Other thoughts, questions, complaints? I don't re recall where I heard this, but um, it was just a prayer. God, you've given us so much to be grateful for. Please give us one more thing, a grateful heart. My mother used to say to me as a child, pray as if you would only get to keep those things you are thankful for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So no. Um, okay. Anything? I got some places we can go and stuff we can do, but anything else? Any other questions? Oh, in the back. Well, I'm not sure it, I don't know how to really say it, but uh, what comes to mind is, but love casts out all fear and God is good. But on the other hand, I know that things can be changed in a flash. Yeah. And um, yet you're not supposed to live in fear right. that, that, that the other shoe is, when's right. the other shoe gonna drop? Right. Well, and that of course, I think would be the flip side of this. What would be another atheistic way, another unfaithful way of dealing with the future? Instead of confidence and arrogance, what? Fear and trembling and anxiety? Omicron's coming. I thought they'd call it midterm elections, but, but um, that's just me. 
No, I think it's real. I just think that I think the media has got every reason to hype it because of the midterm elections. I'm not trying to suggest. Anyway, sorry. That's my political joke. Da da da. Um, and so uh, we we got plenty to be in fear of, precisely because we don't know the future. So there's another. There's two. There's two ditches. One on either side of the road. So there's the arrogant ditch of I know and I will and I can. But then there's also the ditch of, I don't know the future, ah, you know, and Jesus in Luke 12 is the same thing. Relax. God takes care of birds. You're more important than birds. Relax. Your heavenly father knows you need these things. So I think a, a fear and anxious heart in regards to the future is equally not the right way to respond. Um, it's, it's making our plans. And if the Lord wills, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you'd be just as in leaving him out of the equation if you're terrified about what you see happening in the government or what you see happening with COVID or what you see happening globally or whatever, you know. And not that there aren't some concerning things, no question. And there's a sovereign God who holds the nations as dust in the scales whose will will not be thwarted, who means us good, and we can trust him. You factor that in. Okay, that's a bit more in proportion. Some ominous things are on the horizon. But my God is sovereign and is good, and he will, he will be with me through it, right? That doesn't mean we won't go through immense suffering. It just means we won't go through it alone. and We won't be destitute in the suffering. So, yeah. Our suffering of purpose and value. Yes. Yes. He, he does not willingly afflict his children. It, there's a purpose in it. There's, there's a reason in it. I, it, was, it was timely that we sang I Asked the Lord this morning. It's just such a profound song um, of some of God's purposes in suffering. Not even all of them, you know. Okay. Any other thoughts, questions? Okay. What are some other, so, so here's, here's one I'll throw out to you. You guys get to answer this one. James gave one example. It's financial. It's planning. What are some other types of things we can do and leave God out of the equation? It's not a short list, so this shouldn't be a hard one here. <laughs> right. No, no. I'll, where's the microphone? I'll, I'll give you one example. We, we have so much reproductive technology today that we forget the Bible's clear statement, the Lord, I open and close the womb. And because in our ability to harness nature and exercise dominion over it, we, we are tremendously, we have, a, we have an unprecedented influence in opening and closing the womb. But people get absolutely broken and vexed and frustrated when they want to open the womb and they can't, or when they want to close the room and they can't. And it's like, dude, who did you think you were? I mean, you don't want to say it to the person in the suffering, but no, that's not gonna be helpful. But, but there's a place where I see people make plans confidently, you know, and uh-uh, the Lord taught us that for, no, when, when Serena and I um, were first married, we, uh, we were using birth control, preventative measures, and then in our, my wisdom, well, I got convicted that my reasons were lame, so we came off it. It's okay, I will have children. And then we didn't <laughs> for, for two more years. 
I mean, then we did, but you know. Um, but, but, but for two years, no, and one of the things I believe the Lord taught me is like, oh, you're not sovereign. Oh, you flipped the switch and you want kids now. No, wait. You know, and so that, that's one of the ways that I personally experienced, like, I, I'm not nearly as in control as I think I'm in control. I think that the catastrophic illness and cancer and death does that. I mean, Dave Christofferson had plans, and it wasn't to get COVID and die from complications. It wasn't. Um, Gail is doing incredibly well, by the way. I mean, pray for her, uphold her, lift her up, but she's doing incredibly well. But yeah, I, I think with our mortality, uh, I see it with employment, people who, who get unemployed and just, you know, not, not, all these things are hard. The, the, what I would spare you from is the additional difficulty of the vexation of, but why? As if it wasn't in the cards. God's sovereign. He does what he wants. He, I saw someone say this. He gets to be God, <laughs> you know, um, and and so we live in a world where he gets to be God. And so those are some of the more common things I see where I would spare people the double vexation of the trial itself and the child saying, but I thought you loved me. As if your view of a loving God never would allow the cancer, the unemployment, the death, the, the, the family trauma. God isn't surprised by any of these things. And, and, and it's hard enough to go through the trial without having the additional trial of, but I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. What's going on? Um, that, that's what I would spare you from. Thoughts on, and yes, well, Tim, sorry, I said Walter, Tim. So along your line of thinking, you mentioned the womb, but I think of do not love the world nor the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust, the flesh, the lust, the eyes, the boastful pride of life. So I know in part of my growth and understanding of how God works, and I've still got a long ways to go, but things like career advancement or even the type of work that one does it's just so easy to want to be sovereign in what kind of work I'm going to do or how I'm going to advance at work yeah. or what kind of lifestyle am I going to live yeah. or who am I going to marry or all these things that one has a plan. You, you think of the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. And there's just that arrogance in there that thinks I can plan all these things. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. No, no. And like I said the balancing act is not, then don't make plans. As much as I might like that. I, I tend to fly by the seat of my pants at times. So, so I got to preach this to myself. The answer is not, don't make plans. The answer is, Make plans a certain way. Make plans a certain way. Um, reminding yourselves of these things, you know. Um, I, I do this sometimes preemptively because I don't want to get tested. I remember when we had our firstborn son, and I'm holding my arms and thinking of Abraham and Isaac and how I don't think I'd pass that test. 
I'd rather learn that lesson that Lord, he's yours. Do with him as you will. I, I want him for many, many years, but do with him as you will. He's yours. Cause I don't want to get tested, <laughs> you know? Um, and so reminding ourselves of these things is, is a preventative from stumbling um, periodically. And I, I think it's a good, just do an inventory periodically, like our health, just go through like, I don't have any severe health issues. I could. Every one of my sisters, my mother, her mother, her brother, all have MS. God does me no wrong if I get MS. And it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, so there's something. <laughs> so and I think that I'm thankful for each day without MS. Right. Um, and I think through my children, we've had no childhood diseases take any of them yet. In world history, I'd probably have three dead kids by now if I was living back when Jonathan Edwards was alive. Um, none of this is guaranteed. And so we live in a day now where something bad happens, you want to sue somebody because tragedy shouldn't happen. And if tragedy happens, someone's to blame. I mean, one of the, one of the things we don't have in, in our culture is, pro, is mechanisms for dealing with grief. I mean, I was reading uh, Jonathan Edwards' shorter biography by Marsden, and some of his letters to his daughter, Jerusha, who's like 16, and he's like, remember, you could stand before God at any time and have to give an account for your soul. And I'm initially thinking, that's kind of morbid. But no, the world Edwards lived in, plague could just sweep through town and wipe out 12 people. That was the world they lived in. They were well aware of their frailty, you know? Um, and so he's telling her, be aware, you might any day have to stand before the living God and give an account. I don't live in that world. I live in a world where if you die before you hit 70, somebody made a mistake and you should be able to sue. No, am I wrong? Am I wrong? And, and praise, and again, I'm not bemoaning the medical advances. We've pretty much wiped out infant mortality. The, the reason when you hear about life age being shorter in the middle ages and stuff, it's the infant mortality. The people who get out of infancy, they get their 70s, their 80s, just like they did in Moses' day. For all of our medical advances, we're not doing a whole lot in pushing the average lifespan. We're doing a great job in getting people past their teens. That's where all of our advances really are, are paying out. Um, and praise God for that, but then we start presuming, right? Because then when a child does die, what gives? That's the danger of our hearts, right? Yeah. Okay. Other thoughts, questions, complaints? Nobody. Okay. Yes, Liz. So when you decide something and you hear a lot of people be like, I'm going to pray for peace about this situation. I need to feel peace. It's like <clears throat> a lot of people base that decision on a feeling yeah. of, should I take this job? Should I yeah. move? Should I do this? It's what, what would you say about that? I think I know, but I just want to I would hear. say that both Jonah and Jesus had peace in a rough sea. Right? Both of them were asleep in a stormy sea in a boat. The, the, what's right about peace is this. The Holy Spirit and our consciences existentially operate by making us feel a lack of peace. So conviction of sin is an experience, right? You're troubled. And so... 
you shouldn't do something you're troubled about. You shouldn't do something your conscience is convicting you about. That doesn't mean if your conscience isn't condemning you, you're acquitted. Go, go to 1 Corinthians. So, so certainly the reverse of that statement's true. If your conscience is bothering you, that's a really good sign that you should pray and think some more and not act. But the reverse is not true. So 1 Corinthians, um, is it three or four? Hold on. Okay, four. Here we go. So the Corinthian church has like got a Christian preacher scorecard and they think Apollos is, is the bee's knees and they think Paul is kind of embarrassing. They're, and so Paul tells them, that, yeah, I don't really care. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you, by any human court. In fact, I did not even judge myself. Now, here's the key, verse 4. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Just because I have peace doesn't mean I'm innocent. Just because you have peace doesn't mean you've made the right decision. The right decision should be accompanied by peace. Jonah had peace, and he had no business having peace. So, so that'd be the first part. Presence of peace is a positive sign. It's totally inconclusive. Um, what, what we should do, okay, let's, let's talk about decision-making, certainly. Um, th think of a bullseye. And the outer rings are, is what I'd call law. The Bible speaks plainly to many issues. Um, so if I'm trying to decide, um, oh, I don't know, what career to go into, we can scratch right off, um, you know, adult movie star. Right? Just, this not, that's not a conscience issue. That's law. No Christian is allowed to, to do that. Right. And likewise, you could probably scratch off a couple other, um, the photographer for, you know, the same thing. No, nope. you know, and so you start off like, what is unlawful? You, it's my outer ring. What, what does the law prohibit? What, what is not an option? Okay. Then I think the Bible offers wisdom and precepts and principles. Some jobs are going to be much more difficult. A traveling salesman away from home. Well, if you have a wife and you have kids, that's going to be, understand, that's going to be challenging both for you and for her. That's going to bring stress and burden in your marriage. I, I, I would recommend you avoid that. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to find a job where you can be home as much as you can. You know, no law, no law, just wisdom. You know, um, one of our body is in the guard. And one of the consequences of being in the guard is the guard's able to say for six months, we're going to send you to Japan. I'm sure that's a great challenge. And so I think the next circle in would be wisdom and precept and, and that type of thing. No law, wisdom. Then you get into the next circle, and I think it's kind of offer it up to the Lord and then do what you want. I think that's how you act in faith, is you take it to the Lord first. Lord, you first rule out whatever's off the table. Then what wisdom do you have? In addition to the wisdom of God's word, I'd add in the wisdom of God's people, you know, um, those of you with children, if your kid was thinking what college to go to and they never even ran it by you, that'd be weird. You know, God's given you elders in the faith, pastors, overseers, godly older men and women. Seek counsel. 
and a multiplicity of counselors is wisdom, right? So you're, you're seeking God's wisdom in his word. You're seeking God's wisdom from his people. You're offering up to him. Then at the end of the day, Liz, you do what you want. Um, by which I mean, do what pleases you. There is no law. We're not under law. Act in faith. And the faith of it is, so if I'm trying to decide what college to go to, I've ruled out, you know, the satanic school of divination right off the list. I'm I, I trying to be ridiculous, but I'm trying to think out there like wicked. But then there might be options of like, do I want to go to a Christian college? I'll tell you, some Christian colleges are way harder than secular colleges. <laughs> if, if you've got a Christian college that's Christian, um, I'd find that way more challenging to be at than a straight up secular school where you just know they're godless. Um, and uh, so you're, you're factoring in the wisdom, being far from home, close to home, all these other things, seeking counsels, talking to your parents. You've offered up to the Lord, ask for wisdom, act in faith. Make a decision and be open to the Lord correcting and changing it. Okay, God, you've, I think I've done what you want me to do. Here's where I'm going to decide. Uh, you can either stop me or change my plans or let me do this, but I'm going to try to act. That's, that's the biblical decision-making. It's not about a feeling. It's not about um, the tea leaves or even open doors. Open doors are significant, but Paul opened a door for ministry for Paul in Treos, and he didn't take it. Sometimes open doors lead to lot, elevator shafts, you know? Um, that's straight out of Jay Adams, not me. I'm just totally aping Jay Adams. Um, oh, and by the way, I need to give credit. Last week's spontaneous, if you can't say amen, say ouch, is Vody Bauckham, not me. Um, so, anywho. That's that's a short thing on, on decision-making, Liz. Did, did you want to go further with that? Or is that... The, the real issue is, is thinking things through. Go to Romans 14, last place we'll go to with this. The real issue is simply having your mind made up, not doubting, I've decided this in faith. That's, that's the real challenge, Romans 14. And so we deal with conscience issues in Romans 14. Will my family observe days? Will we eat meat? Will we drink alcohol? Will we, whatever. And in Romans 14, Paul um, has a number of things to say. Pick it up in verse 5. Are we going to celebrate Christmas? I, there are some really good arguments against celebrating Christmas. I'll give you some of them. If the scripture is sufficient, gives us what we need, and the scripture doesn't give us the celebration of Christmas, we can't need it. I agree with that. Whatever Christmas is, it's optional. It is not necessary. If Christmas is necessary as a celebration, God's word is insufficient. I tend to think Christmas is optional and beneficial, just like air conditioning, <laughs> right? No, no, it's a good thing. But right off the bat, you can't, your, your position can't be, we have to have Christmas. Well, then God's word is not sufficient. Then the people who hold to the regulative principle, which is the view that when it comes to worship of the Lord and observance, we are only to do those things proscribed by God's word. So, so when it comes to the worship of the Lord, there's two conscience convictions. The regulative principle, which says only those, so these are some, if you've ever been to a church, they won't use a microphone or won't play a piano. God's word doesn't mention microphones and pianos. If you're really hardlining it, no, but it's a desire to honor God. And I think God is honored when done rightly. 
The thought being, I mean, think of Nadab and Abihu. We're going to get creative with our worship. We're going to mix up the incense, our own special blend, right? So some people say, we're not going to be creative at all at worship. We're going to worship God only as he tells us how, and that's it. I think that's a fantastic conviction of conscience if you don't foist it upon other people. I think God's fully honored by that. I think I, I respect it and it's commendable. Okay? It's not legalism until you say, and you have to as well. And the second you start taking your conscience issue and trying to judge someone else by it, now you're getting into legalism territory, but that's fine. Um, and since Christmas, that's other people object to Christmas because of its pagan roots. The word mass is right there. So I heard someone say, we don't sell their Christ mass or any mass. Okay. Dude, that's cool. Totally cool. And so you got to, so there's one example. Talk about observing days here. So most of us are going to observe a day here pretty soon. Um, I know at least one person in this church who's of that conviction. Doesn't foist it on other people, but that's his conviction. I totally respect that. Completely respect that. Uh, I, I tend to think he's given more thought to it than most people have. Um, so verse five, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems each day alike. Look at the end of this. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Think it through till you've got a clear decision. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do, and here's why. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. So my view of the regulative principle is there's a freedom. We should follow the patterns. We should follow the, the uh, instructions clearly laid out in Scripture. But there is some freedom for, for us to cater how we worship to, to our, our situation. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 14, the early church probably had multiple sermons. We do one. They had a Q&A session. That's actually one of the reasons I love this ABF because, no, think about it. When Paul started with the women being silent, let their husbands ask questions. Let them ask questions of their husbands. What does that imply? There is Q&A. And he talks about one prophet speaks and the other sit in judgment. There's some cross-examination going on. So what we do is significantly different than what was done in the first century. I think that's okay. But we need to recognize it's what we came up with. It's our traditions, how we do things. We start at nine. Other churches start at eight. Okay. So each person has to be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. The guy who's like, nah, Christmas is just any other day. I don't need any extra holy days. Thank you. It is, pause, it is interesting that we give way more attention to the holy days we came up with than we do to the Lord's Supper and baptism. Like God gave us some observances. This is something else another friend of mine who's not a big Christmas guy points out. It's like, God gave us some things to celebrate and observe. And the ones we made up crush the ones God gave us in the way, the seriousness and the preparation we take for them. That's a fair critique. That's a fair critique. I think there is some freedom and liberty for us to come up with some things, but our things shouldn't be trumping the things God has given us, you know? Okay. An otter? I don't know. Okay. Uh, an ark? Okay. Um, no, no. But I know, I mean, can you just imagine getting excited? It's the baptism service this week. Oh, you know, or it's Lord's Supper. Oh, I've been dreaming, thinking about preparing for this. You know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but um, anyway, moving on. Um, we celebrate Christmas in my home. That's fine. 
but I, I'm trying to show you that there is some validity to the other position. Cause I've talked to some people, you know, and they're like, what, you know, I'm like, no, no, it's optional, totally optional, completely optional. It has to be optional or God's word's insufficient, totally optional. Um, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether you live or whether you die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For all be stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee should bow to me, every tongue confess. So then each one will give an account of himself to the Lord. Now jump ahead a little further to verse 22. The faith you have... Between yourself, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. To ever go against your conscience is sin, even if your conscience is wrong. And that's another important concept here. What the Lord is saying is when my children, when my sons and daughters say, I'm not sure dad wants me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. That displeases him. Even if the thing you do is fine. I don't know if God wants me to wear a dress or pants. Me, a young woman, right? I think you're free to wear a dress. I think you're free to wear pants. But if your conscience is unclear on that point, you can't wear the pants or you can't wear the dress. You can't. Consciousness can be informed. Um, I was talking to somebody this week. They weren't sure if God wanted them to go see a doctor. They thought maybe they should have faith. I tried to inform that conscience. I think that was a wrong conviction. But while you think that, you cannot go see a doctor without sinning. You can't think this may displease God, but I don't care and be innocent. Does that make sense? Okay. So as you're making decisions, you got to be convinced. You can't be like, well, maybe this is okay. You've got to think it through. And sometimes that means you got to pause and take more time and seek more help. I need, I need to be fully convinced in my own mind. I need to not doubt. I need, I need more time to think through this. I'm not sure. Serena, remember? You're going to tell? Okay. Can I tell this story? Sure. Okay. Um, we were going to a uh, fall... Bible study party in Southern California. It didn't look like fall. The most Southern California looks like is like moldy bread. It's like dry desert. And then like in the winter, it's moldy bread. And then it's back to dry desert. And so we're stopping by, what was the name of this? What was the brand of the store? Ralph's. Ralph's. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, workers were on strike. They're outside picketing. And I am very much, very, very, very much sympathetic with sort of a laissez capitalist sort of thing. So my wife, however, is like, maybe they've got a good grievance. Maybe we shouldn't cross the line. Maybe we shouldn't go to the store. To which my initial response is, bosh, you know. Um, But if I said that to her, I'd be doing violence to her conscience. What she's telling me, what she's telling me is my conscience is pricked. I'm concerned. Maybe I should stand in solidarity with these people. Maybe I should heed their warning and I should unify myself with them. I didn't think that. (laughs) But I understood, by God's grace, that if I encouraged her and pressed her, don't be, if my response was, come on, don't be stupid, let's just go. I'm causing her to sin against her conscience because she's just told me, I'm not sure we should. So we sat in the car, how long? Half an hour? 
just like economics brought out some Ayn Rand, some Thomas Sowell, um, <laughs> you know. Um, and we talked through it. And her conscience became informed, went inside and got her apple cider and came back out and went to our thing. But if, if I'd just be like, don't be silly, come on. I would be sinning, I would be sinning against her and leading her to sin against her conscience. Um, so that, that is an important principle with decision-making. And I don't think you can simply do something in faith just because you have peace. Peace is a helpful sign. You certainly shouldn't do it if you don't have peace. That's clear. But just having peace is insufficient. Does that make, I'm sorry, the sentence is a long answer, but it's, it's an important principle. Um, yeah. Don. Uh, I think another principle is, is it in keeping, is it consistent with God's character? Yeah. Not, and I'd put that in with principle. I think not only is there wisdom, if, if you really pressed me, my, my bulls out have three circles. Law, principles, where you can extrapolate. That would be things like, is what I'm deciding to do in keeping with God's character? Is what I'm doing the type of thing I see Scripture doing? You know what I mean? Um, so so here, here's, here's something. Should we use birth control or not, right? Is there a command? But there's a lot of principles that you got to mind. Whatever, no, no, whatever you do, you better not be disagreeing with God that children are a blessing. That doesn't mean you have to have as many kids as you can. You, whatever you're doing has to be consistent with kids are a blessing. You have to be consistent with that. And about probably eight or nine other things. Whatever you do, you got to recognize God's sovereign over this because he opens and closes the womb. Whatever you, So there's a lot of biblical principles that come to bear that you're going to need to navigate and work through even where there isn't a clear-cut command and instruction, right? Um, then I'd put as my third circle in wisdom and then do whatever you want. So really it would be a, a three-circle bullseye. Within the last few days, so listen to something uh, that uh, made me really uh, has stuck with me. Obviously, um, that we are uh, it to to put on Christ. We're we're to live, uh, be followers of Christ. Mm -hmm. By implication, that would mean that if Christ were me, Christ could be me. I and work at Windsor Windows and and that yeah. and there would be nothing in my in my or there should be nothing in my life that would keep him from accomplishing his other than the culture and and, and fulfilling prophecy yeah that would keep him from from uh, fulfilling his role before his father yeah no I mean it's kind of what the what would Jesus do bracelets got at you know like. You know, aside from Jesus' particular messianic mission, he's going to be doing things that I wouldn't do. I don't have the authority to do. But what would Jesus do outside of that messianic prerogative? Um, I, I shouldn't be de making declarations and things and pronouncing judgments over cities. He can. Um, but by and large, what would Jesus do is a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, 10 minutes. Any other thoughts, complaints, anything else to go on this? It's been a heavy morning, so I get you guys are quiet. I can let you guys go early. Oh, no, Matt. <laughs>
Matt. Oh, and then Pristina. Just, uh, All of a sudden, when, they, when the, we heard the, the bell was on. The decision making. What if you're st stuck in a decision? And then, you're saying if you're there, you're don't do it because you could sin. But yeah, no. If you're if you're doubt, if you're not fully convinced in your mind, don't act. But now, wouldn't you be sinning on both sides then? What do you mean? As you're sitting in that middle ground. No. I don't know if God wants me to go to the doctor, but I don't know if he also just wants me to stay home. So if I stay home, I could be sinning if I go to the so doctor. That, no, so, so take that. You got, you, you've, got, you've got signs of cancer, and you're not sure if God wants you to go to the doctor or not. If what you do is set aside everything else you have, clear your schedule to prayerfully work this through, to read books, to search the internet, to talk to your pastors, to talk to elders, you're being faithful. Clear my schedule. I'm taking a I'm taking a private day. I'm taking a personal day from work on Monday, and I'm devoting myself to prayer, fasting, the counsel of people I respect in the church. I need to be fully convinced in my own mind. That is faithful. If you're like, I don't know, so I'm going to delay. To quote the great theologian um, Getty Lee from Rush, if you refuse to choose, you still obey the choice. I think that's the line. Um, to not choose is a choice. And just to kick the can down the road is a choice. And that can be an incredibly unfaithful choice. I got this difficult decision. I'm not sure what to do, so I don't think about it. I'm saying, no, if you're like, clear my schedule, I need to get to the bottom of this, by all means. That's faithful, I believe. Um, I make, does that distinction make sense? I mean, are you being diligent? And are you, are you uh, acting with zeal like this was important? <laughs> You know, um, yes, 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 yeah. Pristina needs the microphone. It's coming, it's coming. No, no, front row, front row. There you go. You have it upside down. Sorry. Wow. I have so many things going on in my mind, but um, I just want to make a statement. Like a lot of things that I'm hearing is really feeling very convicting, especially when you talked about how we make Christmas and Easter, these a lot of the way to the pagan holidays, we put it ahead of the ordinances that God had has given us. Yeah. It's just so, that is just so profound. And why do we do that? It seems like the culture always overtakes, we allow the culture to overtake what God says. And I was just having this conversation with my cousin not too long ago. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, anyway, I want to say that's why I'm quiet right now. I'm just overwhelmed right now because I don't know why we do that. And we do it and we skate over and we keep doing it. Yeah. So honestly, I have a pattern. I don't know if you've picked this up. Um, about every other year, I make a bigger deal of Christmas here. And every other year, I generally just keep preaching through the book we're preaching through. It's important that we're capable of not having a Christmas message. And it's not wrecking Christmas. And as long as we can periodically not have a Christmas message, then I'm happy to do a Christmas message. <laughs> but, it's, but it's like, no, because I know there are people even in our body who have different convictions over this. And so... Um, it, it's important to me. We can we can have a Christmas focused theme, but I like I said, I know at least one person in this church, and I fully respect their conscience and their conviction. We don't celebrate Christmas, and as long as that person's not foisting it on the people, and I don't believe he is. Paul says he honors the Lord, right? Um, and so we we need to be flexible. We need to be able to do both. 
Um, what? And we need. No, no, it, it does. Well, next Sunday is a communion Sunday. Maybe I'll devote some more time to it. That'll actually work well because I don't know if I have a full message left in James. When I got to the end of a one point left, I'm like, so we could have a longer communion time. That might be good. Um, I think we probably have plenty to, to pray and confess and deal with. So that's a good idea, Priscina. Yes. No, what, I'd love to, I'd love to, I actually thought of doing this when I was in Luke, we got to the Lord's Supper, literally spend an entire Sunday doing nothing but doing communion, but talking through it, talking through what we're doing, why we're doing it, kind of having like a, a running dialogue sermon as we go through communion. I still think that'd be really neat to do. Um, well, there's so much of the imagery in communion that's lost. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we all drink from one cup because we're one body. We eat from one loaf, but we don't. We have individual serving cups. Not that that's wrong, but it's something we came up with. And when God wants us to see the imagery, so one of the ways we could work around that is what if we had all the communion cups filled from a common vessel publicly? It would take longer, but now the imagery of common source would be right in front of us, you know, but when you just, someone passes a tray with, and you take a little cup, it's really easy not to make that connection. And signs are useful insofar as they point to the things they signify. So it takes more work for me to make the connections of communion the way we do it than if we pass a common cup. The fact that we use grape juice instead of wine. And I, and I know why we do that. But again, you're missing something because wine is for a wedding feast. Wine is the messianic age. And, and so that's missing. And we got to add that in mentally. And, you know, um, no, I think it'd be great to spend some more time on communion, Christina. That is time. I'll stick around and chat with any of you who want. Um, thank you. God bless.